This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. As we continue this sermon series on relationships, the grace between us, uh, today we're on uh, the relationship of the marriage, and so we'll be focusing on one of the longest sections in Scripture, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, on the dynamics of a Christian marriage. Ephesians 5, beginning verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here around your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word and that we would receive this teaching as it applies to our lives and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. At some level, every marriage is broken. Now, that might come as a surprise to some of you, shocking to some of you. Maybe to some of you, it comes as a relief. Because you look out on Facebook or other social media or see what other people are doing, and they seem to be going on these happy vacations, and everything seems to be going really well, and everyone else's marriage and life, and you feel like you're the only one who feels broken or alone or things aren't going the way that you want. And yet, it's true. Every marriage at some level is broken. I've been a pastor for over 13 years now. And and you'd be surprised that after I've met with some of the people who seem to have the healthiest marriages, you say, that is the healthiest marriage I know. After I talk to them and they've come into my office, they are struggling just like everybody else. And we shouldn't really be that surprised that that's, the reality, because uh, if we're Christians, we, we believe what the Bible says, that all of us also has a sinful nature. As good as we can be, we also struggle with sin. And that means that by nature, we tend to be selfish and self-centered and self-righteous. And so you put two people together in the closest relationship possible, where the Bible says they become one flesh, and you put two selfish people together, and you're going to have some brokenness and some problems and some ruptures. But here's the good news. 
The Bible says that Jesus has come to put things back together again. In fact, when the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to the Ephesians, this letter that we've just got done mentioning, at the beginning of this letter, he speaks the theme of his letter. He says this, With all wisdom and understanding, he, that's God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when times reach their fulfillment. And what's the, um, the mysterious will that he's put, bringing about? His mysterious will is to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In other words, the way that the Apostle Paul describes history is that God made a good world and that human beings, we've broken this good world and we feel that especially in these close relationships like our marriages, um, that there's brokenness in our lives. And yet, according to Paul, Jesus has come to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth. In other words, Jesus has come to put things back together again. Jesus has come to put what is broken back together. Now, it seems like every week, whenever I preach, uh, something comes up in my life that kind of illustrates this. And yesterday, uh, something broke at our house, just because we live in a broken world. And, and it was the, the plastic piece on our, our freezer, and where, where you pull out to, for, for the pla- um, where it does the ice. And I had to put this thing back together again. I had to go to Menards and get the glue to glue this piece of plastic back together again. And so now here's my question. What is the glue that Jesus uses to put our world back together again? What's the glue? Well, as you continue to read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the word that that Paul keeps on using is grace. The glue is grace. And as Paul walks through all the different ruptures and the brokenness in our world, over and over again, he shows how God's grace puts our world back together again. In in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, he talks about the rupture and the, the division, the brokenness between different races and ethnicities, especially between Jews and Gentiles. And he talks about how grace puts them back together again. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about the brokenness and the ruptures in the church and the division. And he talks about how grace puts that back together again as everyone finds a place in the body of believers. And then when you get to Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about the relationship of a husband and a wife and how the glue of God's grace puts husband and wife back together again. And so here's the question I want to answer today. How does the glue of God's grace repair our marriages? Now, before we get into this, I have a few caveats. The Apostle Paul here is, first of all, he's talking about um, how to apply Christian theology to a marriage. He's not talking about people who are going to use God's word to manipulate. He's not talking to the, to the people who, who are hardening their heart and they're manipulating and abusing their spouse. This is not um, the message to them. 
In fact, if you're in an abusive relationship and an abusive marriage, there are other Bible verses that, that can speak to that situation. And so Pastor Bill and I would be happy to point out those verses when you're in an abusive relationship. Also, another caveat is uh, some of you who have gone through the rupture of divorce. And that has to be one of the most, um, the most painful experiences that a relationship can endure. Many people say it's more painful than losing somebody to death. And so I'm aware that even bringing up this and even talking about marriage can be very triggering and painful uh, to, to many of you. And so I pray that you would find healing and hope in the message of the gospel and that he would meet every need that you have in Christ Jesus. And then finally, some of you are not married and maybe hope to be married someday. And, and so you might wonder how this applies to you. Well, I hope that somehow uh, as we walk through God's word, uh, you would learn something about the spirituality, about the psychology and the differences between men and women. And so now let's dive into our text. We begin in verse 22 where the Apostle Paul begins to t- by talking to the wives. And he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now let's just talk to the elephant in the room. This has to be the most offensive Bible verse uh, to our modern ears, doesn't it? I mean, it's got to be number one in in offensive Bible verses, and, and there's good reason for that. We live in a modern culture that really values, highly um, values equality at every level. And there's good reason for that. We've seen historically how when there's really, there's a lot of power hierarchy, how that power can be abused. In fact, that's why when our founders started this country, they're saying, we're not going to do the monarchy anymore. We've seen how King Henry, when he has a a bad day, starts uh, off with your head kind of thing. And so when we started this country, we wanted to have a democracy where there's lots of checks and balances because we're aware that when there's too much hierarchy, there can be an abuse of power. Also, uh, these verses, uh, we're very suspicious of them because we've seen And maybe we've experienced how some people, some husbands, have used them to wield power and to abuse and harm their wives. And that's not what Paul has in mind. But I want to let you know that we do need to approach the Bible with some cultural sensitivity. These were written 2,000 years ago in a Roman culture. So 2,000 years ago, across the sea in a totally different culture. And in that culture, I know it's hard for us to, to think like this, but in that culture, they lived with complete hierarchies at every step of their culture. And this verse would not have been offensive in the first century. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't have been offensive um, because... In that culture at that time, they found a lot of comfort in their hierarchy. They knew what, where they stood in society, and they just wanted to know how they were supposed to carry out their role. Now, does that mean that these verses only applied to 2,000 years ago in a Roman culture? Not necessarily. Because the Apostle Paul goes on to make a universal application. He says this, 
For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. The Apostle Paul is not drawing from his current culture, the Roman culture. He's drawing from the creation story. When he says the husband is the head of the wife, he's going back to the creation story where Adam was created first and Adam was called to lead his family in love, to to lead his family. And then he says, um, he makes the comparison between the husband and the wife and Christ and the church. And just as Christ lovingly leads the church and we as the body of believers, the church, we let our, our Savior Jesus lead, so also in the family. And so the Apostle Paul finishes with these words. He says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now again, these words can seem quite offensive and bizarre to our modern ears. So what are you supposed to do with them? Well, some people, even well-known Christians, have moved on. They, they've denied them or they minimized them or they no longer see, feel like they're applicable to our modern culture. And so they, they don't talk about them anymore. But is that what we're going to do? Do we still believe that the Bible is God's word? And if it is, how can we possibly apply these words to our modern culture? Well, I think the key is to listen to how the Apostle Paul himself applies these words. How how does the Apostle Paul explain the word submit? Well, in the last verse of this reading, in verse 33, it says this, the wife must respect her husband. And so, The Apostle Paul is substituting that word submit for respect. And why is that important? Well, back in 2004, there was a book that was written by Emerson Egrick, and he wrote this book called Love and Respect. And this book was based off these verses, but also based off of um, scientific and psychological studies of the differences between men and women. And what he found is he studied men and women that when you would talk to men and you would ask them, um, what do you really desire? What is a deep down need that you have? Do you want to know that you're loved or do you want to be respected? And this is the data that came out was that in the majority of cases, what men's deepest desire is they wanted to be respected. In other words, they wanted to know that in some way they were leading their family in the right direction. In some way, in some way they were making good decisions for their family. In some way they were, they were, they were doing the right thing. And that gave them a deeper sense of satisfaction than being loved. There was a deeper need. And so if we're going to glue back our relationships and put things back together, it would be meeting that need of letting the husband know that he's leading the family in the right direction. That's a deep psychological need. And so what we find out is that the Apostle Paul is not speaking in archaic terms. He's speaking not only good theology, but he's also speaking good psychology. He's speaking good psychology. And that's why when he talks to the husbands, he says this. Now he moves on to the husbands and he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, if that verse earlier about wives submitting to their husbands was not offensive to the first century Roman culture, I want to let you know this would have been. This idea of of a man loving his wife would be completely offensive. It would kind of make them kind of tense up, like maybe you tensed up earlier. They would tense up when they hear these words because they would be so countercultural to a pagan Roman culture. When you read ancient cultures, and not just Roman culture, but especially Roman culture, you find out that, that it was perfectly accepted in their culture for men to just treat their wives as a means for offspring. And that it was perfectly acceptable in the pagan Roman culture to look for pleasure outside of the house. And so the Apostle Paul is responding to those cultural values and the Apostle Paul is saying, no husbands, you must be exclusive. Love your wives. Be devoted to your wives. And that's not just, loving them is not just a feeling, but it means you're willing to make sacrifices for your wife. You sacrifice yourself just like Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. That you're willing to lay down your life and that you forgive her and love her and you look at her, Paul says, as if she was blameless, just like Jesus looks at the church. In other words, you look at her as if she's never done anything wrong. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. And again, back to those psychological studies in that book, Love and Respect, this is what, in the majority of cases, when there were, there were done these scientific psychological studies, this is, in the majority of cases, what women wanted. This was their deep down psychological and spiritual need that they wanted to be loved over being respected. That they wanted to know from their husband that he didn't have eyes for anyone else, that he wasn't going anywhere, that he was going to be completely devoted to his wife. But sometimes us husbands could be kind of dense. (laughs) And so the apostle Paul uses another illustration to really drive this point home. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So the Apostle Paul compares loving your wife like you love your own body, just as Jesus loves his own body, the body of the church, the the body of believers. And just like you love your own body, that's how you're supposed to love and care for your spouse. And there's a reason Paul can make this connection because when you get married, you do become one body. You do become one body. Uh, The definition of marriage, in fact, the Apostle Paul quotes the definition of marriage from Genesis chapter 2, says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one one flesh. When you get married, you move into one house together. When you get married, you have one bank account. When you get married, you share one bedroom. You become one in every way possible. 
You become one body. And that's why it can be so painful when you go through a divorce because you became one person with this other person. But the Apostle Paul says you are to love your wife as you love your own body, just as Jesus loves his body, the body of believers. Now, how could a person do this? And why would a person do this? Why would a husband and wife be so devoted to each other and care for the needs of each other? Well, Paul says, this is a profound mystery. This is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. What does he mean by that? What he means is, is that the relationship between Jesus and the church is so profound and so beautiful that Jesus Christ has met all of your needs. He's accepted you. He's loved you. In a way, all of us, part of the church, are the bride of Christ. And Jesus has met all of our needs, all of our deep needs of respect, all of our deep needs of love, all of our deep needs of hope and forgiveness. Jesus has met all of those needs. And when we receive that, when we believe that Jesus has met all of our needs, now we are motivated to not enter our marriages saying, what's in it for me? Is this person my soulmate? Will they make me happy? Now you're free to say, how can I serve my spouse? What is their need and how can I meet their need? And that's why Paul closes this section by saying this. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. See, what happens is very often we can love our spouse according to what we want. Um, Husbands, if you want respect, you might be tempted to say, well, yeah, uh, I respect my wife. Well, your wife doesn't need your respect. She needs your love. And and sometimes we we can care for our spouse how we want to be cared for. And so you might love your husband. And then your husband thinks, well, that's great, but what I really want is respect. And so instead of just caring about what we want or thinking about who we are in, in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, we can focus on the needs of our spouse, what they actually need. And so that helps us answer our opening question. How does the glue of God's grace repair our marriages? Covered in the glue of God's grace, now meet the need of your spouse. Instead of asking, what is it that I want? Because you are glued by God's grace, because you are one with the Father, because you have everything you need in Jesus Christ, now you can think, what does my spouse need? So what does that look like? Well, wives, when you get angry and frustrated and things aren't going well, you know exactly what to say to rupture the relationship, don't you? You know exactly how to go at the jugular. And usually it's something like, making fun of your husband or making, making him the butt of the joke, especially in front of others. And you might even know that um, consciously, but subconsciously, you know exactly how that works. And so you make him the butt of your joke, to, especially in front of others, to kind of undermine that. And that's what happens. And you feel like you, you can get back. But if, and that ruptures the relationship. But if you want to glue it back together with God's grace, find that area where you respect him. And, and talk about that area where you respect him, where he's doing the right thing, where he's leading your family, and that'll meet a deep need inside of him. 
In the same way, husbands, you know exactly what to say to go at your spouse's jugular. If you're angry or frustrated, maybe something, maybe it's not even about your spouse. Something happened at work, but you take it out on your spouse because you couldn't take it out at work. Whatever it is, you know exactly what to say. You, you could say something that would undermine your love for her. Let her know that you're doing something else or you want to spend more time with somebody else or you don't want to be around her or you don't find her attractive. Something like that, you know exactly what to say. Maybe not even consciously to rupture that relationship. But if you want to build up that relationship and glue it back together, be devoted to your spouse. Let her know that you're not looking for other options. You're, you're going to stay there. If you, if you could, you would marry your spouse all over again today. Buy her that gift. That gift lets her know that you were thinking about her when you weren't with her. Be devoted to her as Christ has been devoted and loved you. And we'll all need to keep working on this because I said at the beginning, all marriages at some level are broken because all of us by nature are selfish and self-centered and can be self-righteous. And so we'll need to continue to go back to Jesus for forgiveness and for acceptance and for love and for respect. And Jesus will need to meet our needs. And then when all of our needs are met in Jesus, like we're going to receive today in the Lord's Supper, then we can stop making our marriage about us and we can meet the needs of our spouse. And again, for all of, the, all of you who are in abusive relationships, I'm praying for you. I pray that the good Lord will continue to give you the wisdom that you need to continue to move forward. And what is your next step? For all of you who are, um, have gone through the, the horrors and the pain of divorce, I'm praying that the good Lord would meet your needs and would give you a kind of peace that only he can give. And for all of you who are struggling in marriage, I pray that you would continue to go back to the glue of God's grace and repair your relationships in love by meeting the needs of your spouse. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, this can be such a, a challenging to topic because it's so filled with, with power and passion and it's so deep, deeply emotional and psychological. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would use whatever is helpful and, and build the people up in this, in this place. And whatever was unhelpful, let them quickly forget. Lord God, I pray that you would heal marriages, that you would lead all those who have struggled to find a sense of peace, and that when you do this, we will give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.